1: Welcome to the Butting Heads Podcast on Rams Talk Radio. I'm Steve Barrow. I'm here with Johnny Gomez. Johnny, it, you know, it's a sad day, man. The season's over. The Rams dropped at 8-1. and one. They had a chance to push the division lead to five games, but now they only sit at a very close four. I mean, do you even think we're going to make the playoffs at this point? Playoffs? I just want to win a game. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's funny because now that we're good you kind of forget how much we all overreact to losses because we used to get so many of them that we'd kind of overreact to all of them and usually the overreactions were kind of rightfully so because of how bad we are but man i've seen some hot takes i've seen wade phillips should be fired and we might as well cut marcus peters at this point i mean it it's funny we haven't lost in so long it's like everyone forgot how to lose
3: basically and I, I've seen some of these posts where the sky's literally falling at this point because uh, we, we lost to a very good team. I, and I think that's kind of the point here is that people forget that the Rams didn't play a nobody. This is a team that could very well push for a Super Bowl appearance. They are that good. And evidence of it was the result of the game. Yeah. My- so – yeah, I am just I, I'm just amazed at how people how far people are taking this. It, you know, it's a loss, guys. It happens.
1: In my opinion right now, I think there's like a clear top 4 teams in the NFL. We are one of them. The Saints are also one of them. So, it's it's a game that we all thought could have definitely been a loss going into. Um I believe you and Norm predicted it to be a loss going into the season, but we're going to get into everything about this game here, but First, guys, you can find our podcast on iTunes, where we are finally over 100 five-star reviews. But if you haven't reviewed us, keep them coming. It's only going to help. We're also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Android, Player FM, Spotify, and on iebeatradio.com, where our show airs Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. All right, before we dive into it, I just want to give a disclaimer here, and we kind of have already done it. Because I think we're both going to say some negative things about the team on this podcast. And rightfully so. Because this was a game that could have been won and wasn't. But, like I said, we're one of the four best teams in the league. We might still be the best. I think we could say we're second best right now. Because we just lost to what could be the best team in the league. We're 8-1. and one. We're in the driver's seat to get at least a first round bye in the playoffs. We have multiple all pros on this team. We have who might be the best young coach in the league. I mean, just, let's just not panic. All right, we're gonna we're gonna say some mean things about the Rams in this podcast. I think, at least I am. But you know, it's it's all is well. We are we. It took us nine weeks to lose a game. All right, let, all right. I just wanted to get that out here. But Johnny, I'll I'll let you sound off on your initial thoughts on the Rams' first loss of the season.
3: Okay, so let before we get into the negative stuff, where we all kind of cringe because. You know, we don't want to say anything bad about our favorite football team. Let me say this first. I'm actually proud of this team for a couple of different reasons. Number one, when they were down by 21 points, they didn't fold. They actually came back and had a legitimate shot at winning this game. Now, <laughs> there, they're, they're, that's, that's where the negative stuff will come into play, but I'll get to that a little bit later. So... Yeah, the fact that they were able to come back from such a deficit and the defense held the Saints to a reasonable margin in in the second half. That's that's impressive. You know, that really is impressive. You know, again, this is a very talented team and to do that against a team like that says a lot. It says a lot about the heart of the team and yeah, there there definitely needs to be some adjustments made, but I saw a lot of good that came out of this game as well. Okay, so good feeling gone. Now let's talk about the bad feeling. The Rams cannot surrender 35 points in the first half. That is not an elite football team. You know, that that was not the best the Rams can do. I am more than certain that they can do a lot better than that And yes, credit where credit is due. The Saints offense is elite. There's no doubt about that. But 35 points in the first half is not acceptable and definitely not something the Rams can do if they want to be in the Super Bowl conversation. That being said, um, there's a couple other things that I didn't like. A lot of uh, coaching decisions I didn't particularly care for. Um, Some of these uh, decisions on fourth down were questionable at best and I know we'll get into that a little bit later but yeah just little things that affect the the team overall you can talk about penalties you could talk about um, coverage in the secondary uh, at times pass rush was not existing so that you know there's a lot of things that came into play that were minor when you look at them dead on but as you kind of paint this picture together was the deciding factor of the game, the little things that really affected the the game overall.
1: Right. I I think you definitely hit the nail on the head with like the whole comeback thing is kind of like a glass half full, half empty thing where if you're looking at the glass half full, the Rams made a hell of a comeback. They look like a completely different team from most of the second half. You know, you, come, you get down 21 early to not quit like we've seen so many Rams teams do in the past, to fight back, claw back when the defense is getting decimated, to come back, get some huge stops in the second, second half, and to claw back into the game, that was really impressive and exactly what we want to see, but the glass half empty is, how the hell do you let them score 21 unanswered points so quickly in the second quarter where... You shouldn't have been in this position to begin with, and it's not a position that you want to see a team that's, as you said, a contender for the Super Bowl get in. We the Super Bowl where the Patriots came back from a twenty to three deficit is an outlier in terms of how you win a championship. That's not how you win a championship. That's just them not quitting and the other team getting, you know, playing it very strangely on offense. I think you need to stay in the game the whole time to win and the rams they fought back they tied it they gave themselves a chance but if they did some things better early on they wouldn't have needed to give themselves a the chance they would have instead of coming back put gone over the edge and gotten the lead now we we mentioned some coaching decisions and the one i want to harp on and that's kind of been haunting me all day we're recording this monday night so it'll be out tuesday so which is a good thing because of how much we're probably going to talk about this game. The play where the series, let, let's just give the whole scenario here, okay? The Rams recover a fumble right away on a on a really nice forced fumble from Samson Ebu Might have been the best one of the best plays he's had all year. Mark Ingram fumbles, Aaron Donald recovers. The Rams get the ball at the New Orleans 22. They throw an incomplete pass to Tyler Higbee. They follow it up with an incomplete pass to Gerald Everett. Then they throw a little short pass to Brandon Cooks, who doesn't get to the first down. He he gets six yards. He puts the Rams at their own 16-yard line. The fact that they didn't give the ball to Todd Gurley on, which was basically a free series with the game tied this early in the game, is kind of frustrating. The fact that they chose to try and get the ball to Higby and Everett is a little more frustrating But to me, this whole series, and obviously we know how it ends. They run a fake field goal pass. Johnny Hecker scrambles out. Looks like he gets the first down. He extends the ball. Um, Michael Stewart on our post-game podcast made a very good point that he probably should have dove for the first down rather than avoided the tackle and extended to it. But I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because he's a punter. And, you know, he's not thinking I should dive forward here. He's a punter. He's just trying to get the first down. The the call gets challenged because it looks like a first down. There's not enough evidence to overturn it, which I, I don't fully agree with, but I think is reasonable because of what the call on the field was, and they have to have inconclusive evidence to overturn it, and they didn't. And look, I think they should have just kicked a field goal here. You're basically given a free series in which you go three and out quickly, and not well. It wasn't a good three and out. We weren't really close to getting a first down at all. Now I understand the logic of get get the first down on a fake field goal, which I guess should have worked, and I understand why people are defending it. I put a poll out on Twitter today that I asked you know, how many people agreed with the decision, regardless of the result. sixty two percent of the people that voted said yes, thirty eight percent said no. I'm of the mindset that we should not have kicked that. We are It's tied. We're basically given a free series here. Take the points. We didn't look like we were going to do much with those three plays. They were not not good, whether that's on coaching, whether that's on the offense. I didn't have faith that when we got the ball after we go for two, go for it there. I didn't have a ton of faith that we were going to punch that in the end zone. And that being said, we we would have kicked the field goal anyways. This is a gimme field goal. I know Zerline missed one later, but this is a field goal that you should bank on him making every single time. If we have those three points, we're up 17 to 14 there. They go on the run. Even if that all happens, we end the half down to score game. Later in the half, when we score a touchdown to tie the game, we score a touchdown there to take the lead. When the Saints come back, they kick a field goal. It's not to take the lead. It's to tie it. We go, we go, We go three and out. Even if that happens, whatever, we punt. The Saints get the ball. They score. It's not a 10-point game. It's a seven-point game. All right, this three points haunted me all afternoon because it was right there sitting for us, and we took a risk, and look, I know sometimes playing conservative isn't the right thing to do, but here, we come back. We could have been down seven, we're down ten. We have, we get some nice field position thanks to the Michael Thomas penalty, which, uh, after the touchdown, which I definitely want to talk about later, but we have the ball, we we, you know, we throw a deep, we take a shot, throwing a deep pass to Brandon Cooks on third and two. Maybe if it's a seven-point game, we don't take that shot because we're not in that huge of a hurry to score. We have time here. We don't need two scores. We have one. We probably run the ball with Todd Gurley there. We probably get the first down. Then we're still cooking and we still have a chance. And instead of getting the ball this late in the game in a seven-point game, it's a ten-point game. We really don't have a shot at that point. And you know. I don't know, man, that that drove me crazy that we could have had that three points and we didn't have it all game. I I think I've said my piece there. It's a play that affected the entirety of the game. I know a lot of people are blaming this loss on the refs because we should have had the first down there. And either way, if we should have we could have just had three points and I don't like taking points off the board, especially if you're basically handed a free series in a game where people were saying they went for it because it was gonna be that kind of game where every point was gonna matter then we shouldn't have taken the points off the board. We should have made sure we had the three instead of being aggressive and pushing for the seven. But in that scenario, I just want the points. And in the long run, as I laid out, I think it actually might have been what cost us the game.
3: As far as the decision-making there, in terms of getting the ball off to the tight ends, you know, Everett, Higby, I think it was kind of a forced thing because... I think that's McVeigh's way of trying to incorporate tight ends on the offense, which let's face it for most of the season have been non-existent.
1: And look, they, was, they actually had a pretty good game. Both of them are Higby. Not really. Cause he did drop a touchdown, which was a beautiful throw, but Everett, this was one of the, the best games he's had in a while. So I get it, but I'm, I'm with you. It did seem forced there, but continue.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely agree with you by the way that, I actually, um, funny story about that because I I watched the game in a bar at at the at LAX because I was flying back from uh, from San Francisco. Um, <laughs> so right as Higby dropped that football, I cussed so freaking loud that uh, the bartender warned me that if I did that again that he was going to kick me out of the bar because <laughs> I just so loud uh, yeah it pissed me off that much because that was money like you couldn't have asked for a better throw from Jared Goff and that must have been heart wrenching from Goff because it was like man dude I I don't know what more I could have done to make this easier for you it was right there it was in your hands and you dropped the football So, yeah, that that part really, really pissed me off. Anyway, back to this, the tight end um, situation. If 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 you want to get the ball to the tight end, don't force it, you know, wait for the right moment. Reality speaking, I don't know if Higby or Everett will ever be the answer for this team. It doesn't seem like it, honestly. Although I will say Everett, I, I won't give up on him just yet just because I feel like there hasn't been enough time for him recently. But still, I don't know if they'll ever be the answer. You know, just being real there. Now, as far as the whole decision to go for it on 4th down, I'm with you on this one. If this, if this is... Um, A different kind of game, you know, if this isn't the New Orleans Saints, maybe we do that. But this, like you said, every point was going to matter for this game. And it did. It did very much so. This changes the whole tempo of game. If you just simply kick the field goal. And I should hope that Zerloin makes this this field goal. There's no reason why he shouldn't. Um, and for those of you that bring up, well, he missed a 51-yarder, guys. It was a 51-yard field goal. You know, it happens. It had the distance, just didn't. It wasn't accurate. Happens. This was a chip shot for him. He was gonna make it. You know, this this is aggravating because I respect Sean McVay for his uh, ballsy nature, but there's a point where you gotta show respect to for the other team, and hopefully, it doesn't bite you in the end but it did. So that's kind of one of the things that Sean McVay needs to learn on. The team needs to learn on. We forget that Sean McVay is kind of a younger coach and this is a learning lesson for him too. You know, uh, it's hard to really picture Sean McVay as not this brilliant coach because he has been, but he also has a learning curve also guys.
1: This is why I put the disclaimer at the beginning of the podcast because I I fully stand behind Sean McVay. All right. I I would never like say anything that, Calls into question his job security. I hope he's our coach for the next forty years. But like, yeah, I, this to me, I think they they can get too aggressive sometimes, and sometimes it works out. And I remember when I, I do you remember what game it was where like they got a little conservative near the end of the game and kicked the field goal when it was tied, and people were mad that like they didn't put their foot in the gas and try and score a touchdown when it was tied. I think it might. I think it was Denver um
3: i think so i think it yeah. was Denver,
1: and and i i commended sean mcveigh for that decision because you know keeping points on the board is the the dumbest statement but also the truest statement in sports is whoever scores more points is going to win the game and there are times where you just you need to keep points on the board and i think the context of this this possession matters you know i don't think it matters in every context but the fact that this was just a gimme possession that we shouldn't have had in the first place and the fact that you like it's not like when you're running a fake punt because if because you're assuming like the saints are going to score and you're in enemy territory a little bit and you're like you know what they might score anyways let's get a fake let's see if we can keep this drive going this is in a situation where you know, the saints have a long way to drive regardless of the outcome let's make sure we have the three points here instead of going for the seven and i think it would have mattered uh come down the stretch at the end of the game and even if they got the seven points there instead of the three i think it, the scenarios with how the game played out would it it would have been the same thing and obviously you know he didn't have the benefit of hindsight in that situation nobody does but i i just would rather in that scenario see them kick a field goal but I think we beat that horse enough. I do I do want to come back to Gerald Everett though. I one thing I would like to see in some of these games that are going to be a little less competitive, you know, maybe after the bye week, not not that we need to look past anybody, but you know, I think maybe against like Detroit and Arizona and the 49ers at the end of the year, I'd like to see Everett get the majority of the tight end snaps. I think we know what we have with Tigby, and I think Everett's ceiling is clearly higher even though he's a little bit raw of a prospect. But in these next two games, the Seattle game next week is going to be a big game. Um, We'll get to that later, and then obviously Kansas City. But let's talk about the other glaring and negative here, and that is the Rams' secondary in this game. Obviously, Marcus Peters is the big culprit here, but we do have to point out Benjamin Watson, a tight end, a position that we've struggled guarding all year. Had three catches for 62 yards and a touchdown. One of these catches was insane, um, the one where he caught it, like, over his head going out of bounds. Uh, a 37-year-old journeyman should not be able to make that catch, so I'm not going to blame him for that. We did get cooked on the touchdown, too. But Marcus Peters, man, you know, we talked about two weeks ago how we hoped he would be back after a really nice game against the 49ers, and he is not back. He get, Michael Thomas had the biggest receiving performance of the season i'm pretty sure in this game if i heard correctly what they said on the broadcast he passed jared cook it's 180 yard performance against the rams of all teams for the best performance of the year with 211 yards um, according to playerprofiler.com marcus peters gave up 10 catches for 186 yards in this game on 13 targets most of those came against peter or against thomas he did have that one really nice pass deflection um, right after the Jared Goff interception, so we'll give him credit there, but that's about all the credit we can give him. He got absolutely cooked in this game. The Saints were targeting him basically the entire game. Michael Thomas, who is one of the better receivers in the league, is still just absolutely obliterated him. And Over the last two weeks, Marcus Peters has given up 327 total yards on 16 catches. He admitted in his post-game interview that you know he had a very bad game. He said and kids earmuffs that he has been playing like shit over the past couple of games. And he also said he's not hurt. He said he's not injured, so we can throw that excuse out. I mean, Johnny, what do we even make of this? Like, what do we make of how bad he's been over the past two weeks?
3: It's, it's a tough pill to swallow because this is a guy that the Rams traded for. And in hopes of being like this elite cornerback. And not that I'm giving up on Peters at all because I, I'm not. Because I knew exactly the kind of cornerback that Marcus Peters t- tends to be. But the thing about Marcus Peters is he kind of needs a balance. Because he's an all-or-nothing kind of cornerback, it's uh, kind of problematic. You see, when you have a shutdown corner like Akib Tlaib next to him, that's where it kind of makes sense. Because now you can basically switch off. You know, Tlaib is... Talib's absence from this team is actually more critical than people realize and now we're starting to see it because we're seeing this all or nothing cornerback going up against elite receivers like Michael Thomas and he he's just getting (laughs) torched every single time every single time now what I will respect about my Marcus Peters is he fully admits it; he accepts no excuse for this And I do believe that he's going to work on getting better to um, to really step up his game. So I I do respect Marcus Peters a lot for that. You know that's the kind of player that you that you want. You know, of course, whether we see that or not, mm, still debatable. You know, the we'll probably know more when we play. You know, more competitive teams, but. I, to tell you the truth, I don't know if if the Rams are going to really play anyone that's going to give the same sort of challenge as like the Saints, and the only team that really comes to mind would be the Chiefs, really. Yeah, I would say that would be the biggest challenge, right?
1: Yeah, I think um, the the Chiefs might torch us in two weeks uh, in the passing game, because Tlaib will not be back, he's not eligible to come back, but... Now, after that game, if the uh, Norm mentioned on, on the post game pod that he thought the Rams maybe should have traded for a cornerback instead of going after Fowler, um, I don't i I think my stance on that that I've said on this show was that if they didn't expect to leave back, that should be the move they make. But the fact that they didn't make a move for cornerback tells me that I think they believe to leave will be back for the final stretch, even if he's not back for like Detroit or Chicago. As long as he comes back for that playoff run, that'll be huge. And I, I think the fact that they didn't even try to get a cornerback, given how they were playing before the deadline in the secondary, means they expect this guy back. And you're right, you know, if he was healthy in this game, even if Peters started the game on Thomas, Talib clearly would have drawn a lot of matches with them, given how bad Peters was doing against him. And if you look at who, you know, this website I'm using for coverage stats. The primary receivers that they were guarding week one, Peters was primarily on Jordy Nelson and Tlaib was primarily on Amari Cooper, which I mean tells you that the plan was that Marcus Peters wouldn't primarily be locked in on the opposing team's number one receiver. They would switch it up or at least Tlaib would be the one that primarily would be doing it and I think not having him and replacing him with guys like Troy Hill who... You know, we, he is what he is. Some days he'll look great. Some days he'll look terrible. He'll never look as good as Marcus Peters on his best day. Um, apparently, he will never look as bad as Marcus Peters on his worst day either. Because I, this is one of the worst performances I've seen from a Rams cornerback in a while, and we've had some bad ones. But you know, I think the thing is here, Peters. He shouldn't be, like you said, stuck on the team's number one receiver all game. He's not. He's clearly not going to be that guy. That is going to completely take the other team's best player out of the game. And depending on who's on the other side of him, that's probably fine. When it's Tlaib, it's definitely fine. You know, next season, if Tlaib's not back, whoever is going to be there, I would assume would be better than Troy Hill or Sam Shields. And I think it will be fine. But it's going to be tough sailing for this group until he comes back. I think Seattle next week, you know, they need to have another solid game there. Um, Peters in their last game against Seattle, he he did not do great, but again that was game two after his injury, and now I think you know he's admitted that he's healthy. I think I think he is healthy, and I think he needs you know for his sanity and for our sanities to to have a nice game against Seattle next week, and then the Chiefs. I mean, look, they're killer. He might have his hands full with Tyreek Hill if that's who he draws, or dare I say Sammy Watkins but that's also a game where you know he's gonna have the largest chip on his shoulder maybe of any player on the team in any game they'll play this year when Marcus Peters goes up against the Saints or sorry goes up against the Chiefs so I'm definitely like concerned about this group as a whole but I think they have faith that Talib is coming back and because they do I I, you know I feel like I do too all right, we're going to continue with this game, but before we get there, guys, I know most of us are practically addicted to anything Los Angeles Rams. Well, if you want to learn a bit more about the team's history with a bit of a personal touch, you got to check out Jim Hawk's book, Hollywood Teams, Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. Jim has been a great sponsor to us because you know, he, he loves the team, and we know he loves the team because – And he wrote this great book that tells the story of the 1950s Rams through the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman with the group from 1953 to 1957. This is a son's story of his father and the team he played for in the era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. You're going to learn about players like Tom Fears, Van Brocklin, Les Richter, and Crazy Legs Hirsch in this story that spans the 1950s LA Rams. You can find Hollywood you can find Hawk's book at Hollywoodsteam.com. You can also find it on Twitter at HollywoodSteam. And you can also find it at Amazon and Barnes and Noble in both hardback and electronic form. And I believe a paperback is coming soon. You can also find this book, you know, through your various booksellers on the internet. Guys, this book is worth every penny for any Rams fan out there. But it's also just a great story about a person's father and the legacy left behind. Trust me, guys, you won't regret buying this book, Hollywood Grit Glamour and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk. It's worth your time. All right, that was a long-winded read there, Johnny. So we're going to talk about Jared Goff next. Tell me what you thought of his performance.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Steve catches his breath. (laughs) (laughs) So as far as Jared Goff goes, he had a nearly flawless day. Nearly. I mean, honestly, there's not a whole lot to complain about. This guy, you know, was money in the air and – there was a couple of plays, like we've already mentioned, that should have happened that didn't. And this this is an elite quarterback. With one very crucial mistake at a very bad time. That pass, that resulted in an interception, I don't even know why that was made. You know, this, I mean... Clearly, there was – I forget what the linebacker's name is. I know I couldn't pronounce it for the life of me. <laughs> oh, my God. That that last name. I just uh, – for those of you that know how to pronounce it, kudos to you because I can't do it. But anyway, he was sitting right there watching Goff, and he read that like an open book. And the result of that was crucial because – I mean, this was supposed to be when the the sec uh, the first half was winding down, so this was kind of the breather that the the Rams were supposed to get into, but instead they you know that put them in prime position, and well it, it resulted in another touchdown uh, to complete the twenty one point lead. So yeah, that was not a very good feeling. By any account. And now the Rams are in hurry-up mode because they have no other choice. They 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 just completely capitalize on a boneheaded move there. So, well, I will truly praise the kind of performance that Goff had because other than that, really, it was a flawless game. But still, decisions like that have to be avoided because – In games like this, because in reality, this game truly felt like a playoff game. And in many aspects of it, it kind of was. So for situations like this, when it comes to the playoff runs, this is something that we have to kind of look at, you know, moving forward. Because so far, um, the only experience that Goff has uh, in the postseason would be that one playoff loss against the Atlanta Falcons. And we don't we don't want to relive that. The man's name, by the way, because I'm Italian, I gotta put some respect
1: on it, Alex Anzalone, The man okay. who, <laughs> the man who got that <laughs> interception. Kudos. Um I, I agree honestly, I think we're not gonna about heads here at all. I pretty much agree with everything you said about Goff. He I think you know, I watched the guy play and it's like it blows my mind how good he is considering how he looked his rookie year. And, you know, we've beaten that horse to death. It was Jeff Fisher's fault, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it was, but he still didn't look good. And, you no, know, he looks. He just makes some insane throws, man. He looks so good out there sometimes. That throw to Higby was incredible. He threw, he completed the pass to Robert Woods in, like, triple coverage, which I didn't love because he threw it in triple coverage. But, hey, man, he got it there. Um, but one problem he does have a occasionally, and it showed in this game, he still sometimes stares down receivers. And that's. It's a problem I have when I'm playing Madden is I stare down one guy, but the good thing there is, the, you now the linebackers can't see me through the TV, but in real life these guys are a lot better at football than I am, and they can see Jared Goff's eyes and where he's looking. And on this play, um, now he didn't look off Anzalone; he kind of saw him there, and I think he just assumed he wouldn't make the play, and you know, reasonable enough because it's a linebacker, he made a hell of an interception, but he was right there. And you know, Jared Goff, he just he didn't look him off at all, and he was able to make that interception. But yeah, other than that, he made some incredible throws. And you know, it had a big play feel. And I think there were times last year where Goff kind of didn't step up to the plate when, in certain big game aspects. He doesn't have playoff experience. This was one of the bigger games. Um, you know, I'd say the only regular season game last year that felt like this was Philly, which. You know, it's hard to really knock anyone in that loss. I think that was just a game that, you know, came down to the wire and it, it didn't fall our way. But, yeah, you know, he played a hell of a game. Unfortunately, that interception was kind of fuel on the fire of that ridiculous run they had at the end of the second quarter. And it was, you know, the defense, I'll give them some credit here. They came out and made two really nice stops. Marcus Peters is his best player play of the game. They forced the Saints to like a third and ten, I believe it was third and ten, and Drew Brees scrambles for a first down it's like man you really can't win if Drew Brees is scrambling for 10 yards because you don't you're gonna let him have that you know what I mean like that's not the play that normally results in a first down for the Saints when you're trying to shut down Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas you're not worried about Drew Brees's legs and you know had we gotten a stop there I, I don't think the Saints would have gone for a f- big field goal but I'm just saying um Yeah, man, you know it really did have a playoff atmosphere feel, and I thought GoFF really stepped to the plate. He rebounded from his mistake there, and that's all you you can really ask for there. But speaking of rebounding from mistakes, and we did kind of touch on this, and Johnny, I just want to know what, you know, we talked about the glass half full versus a glass half empty thing. You know, I understand that we can have both. You know, the Rams had a nice comeback, but also they put themselves in this hole and they shouldn't be getting in this hole. I'm wondering which one of those two aspects of this game you know, sticks out to you more. Was it the fact that they came back from the adversity or the fact that they had that terrible run and for a team that's winning the Super Bowl or wants to win the Super Bowl, that shouldn't be happening?
3: It depends on which Johnny you're talking to. If you're talking at Johnny at the bar, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of pissed. But if you're talking at the... The Johnny that kind of take took a second to relook at things and um understand what happened in this game um i I actually see this uh you know as glass half full just because it was still very impressive because while whether you agree or not, the Saints are a very good team and to to come back like that was just um very amazing to me. Because we've seen past teams on the Rams where if they had gone down by that much, they would have probably doubled the score. You know, they, they've been that bad, and to see them come back and fight that meant a lot to me. That was the type of team that you want to see in any football team. So um, for me, I'm I'm going uh, half full. I don't disagree with any of that, but
1: I'm going to go half empty here just because. This is, you know, like you said, this is one of the best teams in the NFL that we're playing, but we're also supposed to be one of the best teams in the NFL. And the, for that second quarter of this game, it kind of gave me the same vibes I had in the second half against the Vikings last year, where it was just like, man, you know, we're the we're both contenders here, and this team just shell shocked us and just you know, kind of took it to us. I'm sitting here at halftime down 18, and granted, you know, everything you said is accurate. But at the same time, you can't put these yourselves in these kind of holes, especially when it comes to playoff time. And you know, we're not we're not getting the Denver's, and we're not getting Seattle and teams like that. Who, in no disrespect, those are fine football teams. But we're going to be playing more teams more along the lines of the Saints and you know, teams like the Vikings, who we did beat. But it just does, when you let a team like that just decimate you. Now that's as much as we did come back, they had the advantage the whole time because they had a nice, comfy 18-point lead entering the second half. And while we were able to fight back and tie it, if you know we we get a stop or two on one of those drives, we're fighting back and winning, and we're not fighting back to, t- to tie it and then lose at the end. So I feel good that they came back and ultimately coming out of this game, it might sound negative, but I feel good about the team because they proved that, you know, they weren't going to crawl into a hole and not fight in the second half. And I feel okay, for a loss, considering everything that happened, I think I feel better than I'm sounding. But I don't know. I feel like I might be talking in circles here. Johnny, the last thing I want to talk about in this game is people are, are blaming the refs for this loss. Like I've, I've seen it a lot. People are calling the Saints cheers. Um, people are saying – the Rams are, have been overcoming adversity from the refs trying to get them to lose games. They've said it multiple times. I feel like we've heard that the refs are out to get us this year. I, I, I mean, what do you make of this?
3: Okay. So I actually, um, I actually did text Steve in the middle of the game for a couple of plays where I thought there should have been past interference called and I Honestly, like the no calls did bother me a lot. However, Steve did also make a very good point in our conversation saying that there was no calls on both sides. And he's right. You know, there was quite a few that weren't called on the Rams also. So I can't blame it on the refs. Uh, I was not very happy on some of those plays. And I wanted to strangle the refs at that point. But at the same time, I can't blame this loss on the refs. You know, the, the, the Rams shouldn't have been in this position where, you know, a bad call was the result of the game. Uh, so that should never be an excuse, to be honest. The only time I can really say that the refs might have it out for you, is unless it's very, very blatant, you know, going back to like the – you know the raiders versus patriots uh game you know so many years ago we, you know the patriots are kind of another issue but um <laughs> moving on no i don't blame the i don't blame the refs for this game and i don't blame them for any of the games so far because yeah there have been some calls that are questionable but um not to the point where i can say that the refs have it out for the rams
1: Uh, Yeah, I I really do feel like the refs kind of let both sides play for better or worse in this game. I think, you know, there was no sacks and there was really no holding penalties, which I think there's never been a game in the history of the NFL where there wasn't a hold. Like, I'm I'm sorry. There's no way if we go back and watch the tape of every offensive lineman on every snap in this game that we can't find a couple holds, probably multiple holds. But none of them got called. You know, there was – I think we might have – maybe should have gotten a couple of pass interference calls, but nothing nothing stood out as absolutely egregious to me that didn't get called. You know, it was all, you know, hit, hit, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but, like, it was all stuff that could go either way. If it was called, it probably might have been right, but it's not like Saints fans want to be livid about it and vice versa for, you know, we did, I'm sure we did some things that could have been called and wasn't. But there was only one real call that, should have gone our way and that was the challenge on the fourth down which we've hashed out enough in this podcast and one play that didn't lose us the game I know I kind of made it sound like not kicking a field goal there did I think we would just been in a much better position later on in the game on certain drives if had we kicked that field goal but that's not what cost us the game entirely there was a lot of things and that was just one of the parts but guys can we not be the fan base that blames the refs on every loss? Like, can we? Can we just not do that? You know, I'm gonna throw out an LA basketball reference here. The Clippers were really good for a couple years, but you know why they were always the Clippers? Still, you know, they still had that Clipper stench because all they did was part of my French here. All Chris Paul and Doc Rivers and Blake Griffin and the rest of the guys did for almost the entirety of most games they played. We should just bitch and moan at the refs about every freaking call. You know, I played park and rec basketball at a very low level in high school. And we had kids on the team that would complain to the unpaid volunteer referees about basically every call. And it was just, God, they were the most insufferable people to play basketball with. And the the Clippers did it too. You know, Chris Paul, I love him as a basketball player. Completely insufferable to watch when he's complaining about the refs every second of the game. Guys... We are not the Clippers. We are the Lakers. We do not need to be complaining about every about losing games because of the refs. We lost this game because of certain decision making, because of a crucial turnover, because the secondary got torched. The refs may have played a small factor in that, you know, that one call not going our way, but we didn't lose this game because of the refs. Let's. We just need to put that to bed. I'm sorry people who complain about the refs losing games went and especially in a game like this where it wasn't like multiple game changing monstrous calls it was really just one like guys come on let's not do this let's not be that team
3: actually steve this is pretty this is a pretty dark podcast for you man <laughs> are you sure you're not part of the dc universe man
1: <laughs> great reference i I mean, dude, we we've been so positive all year. I haven't been able to get out my negative thoughts. You know, we did the podcast a couple times a year. We went four and twelve and it was much more negative. And, you know, Rams fans, if you're not a bandwagon fan and you've been a fan more than you know, longer than the team has been in LA, and I for one, welcome all bandwagon fans. I'm not this is not a diss. Please, if you want to be a bandwagon Rams fan Like, that's not a statement that should exist in my head. Like, please do. But, you know, we're Rams fans. We're the most pessimistic, you know, complaining fan base ever. We watched the team be bad for a goddamn decade. And the older fans had that happen twice because if they didn't win a Super Bowl in the 90s in the last year of the the decade, it would have been the worst decade in the history of football for any franchise. So, I mean, I'm just pessimistic as hard as a fan, man, and I haven't had a chance to let it out this year. Um, there's no reason to be negative when they're eight and zero. There's really not a reason to be negative when you're eight and one, but you know what, I, I had to, I had to let it out, man. You know, I had to give the the budding heads listeners a view of my darker Rams fandom that I haven't been able to unleash in a while.
3: So in other words, Steve is saying
1: I'm Batman <laughs> The You know, in the words of the better universe villain, Thanos the hardest choices require the strongest wills. Okay, I I think we could put the Saints game <laughs> we could put the Saints game to bed here. Uh, before we move on, and you know that was forty five minutes of post game talk. I'm glad we're letting this out on a Tuesday and not like a Wednesday, while well. this game is still fresh. But before we move on, let's give a quick shout out to our sponsor Sal at the Golden Ramp Barbershop. guys. If you're looking to support. When you're own in the Ramley and in the Orange County area and you know, like that classic old-school barbershop experience, you've got to check out the Golden Ram Barbershop at 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California. Zip code on that is two six eight three sal martinez opened up his shop as a shrine to the rams on the day the team left for st louis he's kept the lights on ever since he's by appointment only so give sal a call at 714-894 rams again that's 714-894-7267 use the promo code ramstock so he knows that we sent you he's gonna get a discount he's gonna give you a discount on an already affordable haircut he's gonna get a nice knowledgeable rams fan who knows that he shouldn't be complaining about the referees when he comes in for his haircut the Golden Ram Barbershop is open Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. And from Saturdays, 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Sunday, guys, Sal's watching football. Come on. One more time, give Sal a call at 714-894-7267. A visit Sal's shop is worth it just, just to enjoy all the great memorabilia alone. It's basically a museum to the Rams. But Sal also provides you that old-school barbershop experience talking Rams football more. He's also just a damn good barber, guys. Trust me, guys, you won't regret going to the Golden Ram. All right, Johnny. I'm going to give you first crack at pronouncing a name that hopefully we will have to pronounce multiple times this year because he's going to have a good year. Who did the Rams activate today?
3: Oh man, you're putting me on the spot. Let's hear. Okay, it. I'm just going to say his first, his last name. O Ocaroncro. <laughs> I I, <totally> I
1: think <laughs> that's right. Ocaroncro is how I've been pronouncing it. You know, I, I think he nailed it there. Yes. um yeah so he was activated he's on the pup list um we've been talking about whether or not he'd be activated due to the the Dante fowler trade and whether or not the team needed him they activated him they cut trayvon young who has he's been a guy who we've we've seen this year multiple times he was i believe he was recently injured and now he's off the team um again I'm a little surprised that Justin Davis is still here. I guess they must really like him what he brings to the table. Nick Williams, who seemed like the obvious cut here, who was inactive this week uh, with Cooper cutback, you know, lives to fight another day, and Trayvon Young's the guy's being cut. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if you have anything to add on the cut thing because we did beat that horse a bit when Jabon Brown got cut. But how do you feel about Okoronkoro being activated, and do you, you, know, do you expect him to see some action this week on defense? Yeah.
3: Uh- I think I think it wouldn't be a huge surprise for the for him to get some play time just just based on what we've seen with uh, Dante Fowler. You know, he he wasn't with the team for very long, and he actually played a lot more snaps than I w- was thinking he would. So, uh, this we're talking about a guy that has been with the team, you know, from the start of his career. So, I mean, that's you know, start of his rookie season. So I, I guess that's kind of, you know, an advantage over like Fowler who just joined this team. So he kind of understands, you know, the phlo- the philosophy that, you know, Wade Phillips is kind of going for. So I think that wouldn't be a big surprise to me if he sees a lot of playing time. Uh, just really depends on how healthy he is. If he is 100%, then I wouldn't be surprised to see him playing a lot you know going into this game i'm hoping we
1: get you know a lot more dante fowler next week um just because i think talent wise he's the most talented outside linebacker we have although i'll give abu his credit he he had a decent game here but fowler he looked a little you know not great at at the start of the saints game but he came along as the game went on he made some big plays for us and yeah he's he's a big part of that comeback I would like to see him get mixed in a bit more. That being said, I would like to see Ankaranko a little bit. You know, like you said, he's been with the team. You know, you got to think he at least knows the system by now. Obviously, he's never played a snap of NFL football, even including preseason. So there might be a little bit of a learning curve to just adjusting to the speed of the NFL game. And I've been – I like him as a prospect. I think he was a steal in the fifth round. But, you know, again, and I've said this a couple times, he was a fifth-round pick. So, you know, don't expect him to come in and absolutely set the world on fire. If he does, that'll be awesome. But, you know, temper your expectations. This is a guy who's never played NFL football and it was the fifth-round pick for a reason. I think I would like to see him get a couple snaps on defense, you know, maybe some pass rushing, you know, um, alongside Fowler and give Ibukam and Longacre a break. Maybe make them the early down guys next week in Seattle. But, yeah, you know – any help at that position is help, and having him just you know another variable that could produce results—it's it's just nice to have. I'm kind of excited about it.
3: Yeah, this this guy could have the capability of becoming our future starter, so uh, I, I I'm definitely looking forward to it as well. Like you said, the more help we can get at the position, the better. So this will only improve the team, I think. So we'll we'll see we'll see how it affects, you know, going up against the Seattle offense that uh has a interesting, you know, quarterback in Russell Wilson. So that that's definitely a matchup to watch out for.
1: Yeah, and hey, great transition, Johnny. We can move on right to the Seattle matchup here because 50 minutes into the podcast, we still got a game to preview. But luckily this is a team that we've played already, so we don't, you know, we don't have to go in, in depth on who Seattle is. Uh, we we've played this team three weeks ago, four weeks ago, week five. Okay, that was four week four games ago. Um, not much has changed for Seattle. They did go on a little two game winning streak after they lost to us, but they played Oakland and Detroit on the road, though. So we'll give them some credit. And then they lost last week to the Chargers, in which was was a very competitive game. Um, but that was at home. So I mean, you no, know, I think we can both. We both expect a rebound here from the Rams. I, I think it's safe to say we both expect a victory at home here. But you know, what do you want to see from the Rams in this matchup?
3: I want to see a very pissed off Rams team. I don't want to see any smiles. I want to see this be a chip on their shoulder. Uh, show the NFL what kind of team you are type of team. And I... To be honest with you, knowing the type of football that this team is capable of, I'm expecting that. Like, I really expect this team to just decimate the Seattle Seahawks. Like, I don't expect. If if, uh, let me put it this way, if the Seattle Seahawks come out of this game by losing or by losing by just, I don't know, seven to ten points. Uh, then kudos to the Seahawks because they, they played a damn good game at that point. I'm expecting the Rams to win by 20-plus points and possibly more. We'll get to that a little bit later. But this, what I'm saying overall is this is going to be a very pissed-off Rams team, and I expect this to be a much improved game because of it.
1: If, if the Rams win this game, I think they should just break out the 2018 NFC West championship champion hats then and there because they'd have nine wins. Um, they'd have the sweep against Seattle, and there's no way in hell, honestly, I think that Seattle gets 10 wins this year. I'm, I'm sorry, especially if they lose this game. Um, but yeah, I you know, I want to see a Rams team playing with a chip on their shoulder after you know a tough loss to, again, one of the best teams in the league but I think Seattle, you know, I think the last matchup with us was their chip on their shoulder game after they got obliterated by us last season in Seattle. I don't think they're going to come out with the fire that they came out with a, a that they came out against us with in week 5. I think not that they're not going to come out and and play hard, but you know, I I don't think this game is going to be as important to them as it you know, was a couple weeks ago and look, they're 4 and 4. Um you know, while I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, the, uh, you know, a loss here isn't the end of the world for them, and it's just, I don't know, I don't even, I don't know where that's even going, um, yeah, I, this should be a pissed off Rams team, they should have come out here expecting to blow this team out of the water, you know, on paper, we are a much better team than Seattle, and I would like to see the secondary look good, I want a good game for Marcus Peters, he, he desperately needs it, I want, we had no sacks last week. I'd like a couple sacks. And, you know, honestly, the Rams haven't have only had one game since week two where they held the opponent under twenty points. I'd like to see another here. That would be nice. Um, you want to give your prediction on this one?
3: Yes, I will. I am going to say thirty-five to ten, Rams.
1: Okay. I. This is a 10-point spread currently, I believe, for the Rams, which would be, if it stays, the biggest spread of Russell Wilson's career. Um, as go- much of a good player as I think Russell Wilson is, I do not think he covers this. I will give the Rams a 31-17 to 17 victory here. Um, I I think they take care of business. I think it's a game that they need to take care of business in. They're going to have a tough matchup against Kansas City in two weeks, a matchup that's very losable. And the Rams cannot lose three straight games. You know, I ultimately, in the long run, yeah, you know, I think we'll be in the playoffs, even if that happens. But it's that's not a good look. And I think that they, they need to win this week just to get their, themselves back on track and to go into that Kansas City game with you know a little more flexibility. After the Kansas City game, you know, they go into the bye week finally. This team needs it, and they come out and they play Detroit, Chicago, Philly. Arizona and San Francisco. At Chicago, I think it's gonna be a really tough game, but you know, Philly is not who they were last year. Arizona and San Francisco should be cakewalks. Um you know, Detroit, they're they're tough out, but I I don't see any reason why they should lose that game. It's gonna be a nice run here. I think that this game they just need to take care of business and if they could get to the bye week either ten and one or nine and two. I I truly think that they went out, you know, fairly easily, or at worst, finished the season thirteen and three, which should be good for a first round buy. And ideally, you want to be fourteen and two or fifteen and one. But I I'm curious right now, if you had to give a prediction, what do you think the Rams finish
3: record wise? I'm just gonna stick with what I said from the start of the season, fourteen and two.
1: I agree. I think it's 14-2. And And I will save which game I think they'll lose until that game happens. Um, Okay. Yeah, sorry. Not a huge Seattle preview here. But look, guys, you know, Russell Wilson's really good. Their running game towards us last time. I hope it doesn't this time. Uh, Chris Carson may not even play. We might just get Mike Davis, who also had a good game against us. Um, And if you want a bigger Seattle preview... Listen to our podcast from Ramstalk Radio for the rest of the week. All right. Johnny, you got
3: any parting thoughts here? I don't like always being right, but I'll, I like being right this week.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I, I think I got all my negative fumes out on this podcast, <laughs> hopefully, uh, for, for a while. Man, my, my face feels red. My, my cheeks hurt. I feel like I did a lot of, a lot of rambling on this one. All right. Uh, don't forget to follow all of us on Twitter. You could find Rams Talk at Talk Rams, and you can also find them on Facebook at Rams Talk, Facebook.com/slash Rams Talk. You can find me on Twitter at Steve Barrow. You can find a returning and back Johnny at Johnny Five Not Six. And don't forget to find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Android, Google Play, Player FM, Spotify, and iBeatRadio.com. And, guys, this podcast is coming out on Election Day, so why don't you go vote? I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. This is not that kind of podcast. I'm just encouraging it. All right. Uh, Johnny, I'm going to play us out, and we will talk to you guys next week after, hopefully, a Rams win, and we'll give you a more positive podcast. All right. Take care, guys.
4: mypatriotsupply.com